6: All right! All right! All right. This, this is the
2: Doug Gottlieb Show. Here's in the bonus with Doug Gottlieb.
6: Woo!
3: What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? In the bonus, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app. What up? Welcome in. Hope you're great. Um, we got a lot of things to get to, but I think there's a parallel in a story which um, came out today, but it's been one which we've been discussing that is a very easy parallel to that of uh, running backs in the NFL. Uh, Welcome in. We have What Does the Fox Say? Uh, You'll hear from Cowherd. You'll hear from Dan Patrick. You'll hear from Brady Quinn talking about Phil Mickelson. Um, And uh, we got a good because we can. We'll find out what or who is annoying Jason Stewart. Uh, Usually it's everything and everybody. But uh, nonetheless, um, full boat, full show. Uh, welcome back to me. Very happy to be back on this pod. Let, let's let's dive in, though, with this this story. John Canzano, who, of course, he's done radio and written uh, up in in Oregon. And he's kind of been the guy, you know, who he was a guy who also kind of called out the Pac-12 when uh, he felt like they were mismanaged and. um he has been, I don't know if you want to say pro Pac-12, but thought they could keep it together before they ultimately broke apart. Like all those things, Canzano is very much a part of it. So in no way is is, is uh, my intro to him with the intent on being disrespectful towards him. That being said, um, look, this, this is a real thing where um, the Pac-12, and this is per a tweet from the Pac-12, in 2022, that's one year ago, the Pac-12 was offered $30 million per year per team by ESPN. Um, again, this is part of his tweet that the presidents came back to ESPN and said, we want $50 million per team, at which point in time ESPN said goodbye. Right. Which is amazing. Like The whole thing is just amazing to read and to see or whatever. And if you know anything about college athletics, you will know that one of the unspoken issues with college athletics is the perceived arrogance of some some presidents, uh, mostly presidents, but some pe- people around the university. Everybody thinks their university is better than it is. Everybody thinks their university is the best. Their alumni is the best. Their leadership is the best. And they should be paid like the best. And look, the Pac-12, even with their moniker, Conference of Champions, right? Even that feels confident, maybe to the level of arrogance. But I, I think there's a lot outside of just the Pac-12 that this relates to. This is exactly like the running back market, right? Where the Pac-12 thinks, okay, the Big Ten is getting $70 million a year. The SEC is getting $60 million a year. Well, we should be getting fifty million a year. Right? That's the calculation. And the problem with that is it's not understanding the market. Right? You're not understanding where you stand in the market. This is exactly like our running back conversation we had, isn't it? Same thing. Running backs are sitting there going, hold on now, quarterbacks are getting fifty million a year. Wide receivers are getting twenty five million a year. Defensive ends, left tackles, all these other positions, they're growing in terms of their yearly average of salary and amount of guaranteed time and salary. And they sit there and look at themselves and go like, why are we still making in the, you know, 10 to 16 million per year? And why can't we get the long term extensions others cannot? Well, because your position is not as valuable because they can go out on the street and find somebody who can who can replace you for a minimum contract and get three guys at a minimum contract and maybe not be exactly as good at any one thing you do, but they'll be fine. And then they can use that money to spread it all around. Well, the same is true with the Pac-12 here, right? Don't get me wrong, USC, UCLA, USC especially was valuable. You lose USC. You have nothing in the LA market. Nationally, you're not a gigantic name. You know, you don't turn on TV sets in New York, in Chicago, in the Midwest where people are snowbound in the fall and in the winter and they have to watch sports. Um, so, yeah, I just think that what, what, they're, what they have, and look, they've realized it the hard way. And I think running backs have realized it the hard way, that you're worth what somebody's willing to pay you. You are worth what somebody's willing to pay you. That is a hard and fast truth that we all have to respect on on a a level, right? We just do. So I'm I'm going to be totally candid with you and tell you that the Pac-12 massively overplayed their hand, got laughed out of the room, and they could have. You go back two years ago, they could have picked apart the Big 12 conference and the thing been a house of cards. When Oklahoma and Texas left, they could have gone and picked them apart, but instead, again, arrogantly thought they were fine as is, thought there was a bigger and better play to come. Instead, instead, they end up having basically no conference now. And you have four teams left. But Arizona State didn't want to leave. Arizona only wanted to leave when they had to. Same thing with Utah. They were, they were great. But when you turn down money and you get told you're worth $20 million left and, and look, there's another part to this, which is I don't know how you negotiate, but somebody makes an offer. You, you, you sit there and go like, OK, what is the amount that I can counter that is the most beneficial to me, but it won't make them walk away? Right? There's a, a massive disconnect when you miss the mark there. Right? That's why you, would frankly, need an agent, a go-between, or whatever, to sit there and go like, well, "You're there thirty. If we go to fifty, they walk. If we go to forty, do they walk?" So there's a lot of there's a lot of other interesting stuff in terms of negotiations, in terms of the parallels to the to the running back market and other markets. Your work with what, what somebody's willing to pay you. But man, the story of the downfall of the Pac-12 is the story of hubris, right? What's that they say? Pride comes before the fall? There is zero doubt that's what happened. And I I know you're sitting there going like, man, I don't care, Pac-12, whatever. That's fine. That's fine. There's parallels to this in every business. There's parallels to this in every sport. You know? And... And and yes, you have to have confidence in yourself and confidence in your own school or in your own business or whatever, but it can't. you have to be able to see outside of yourself and see
2: how others perceive you. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
5: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other
3: Good at any graduate hotel, any location, up to 30% off. Go book your basketball stays at graduatehotels.com.
7: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, Toyota, let's go places.
3: Let's get to what the Fox says. And now. (laughs) What does the Fox say?
2: Colin Coward had this to say about Bill Belichick scheming against rookies. So the Texans rookie quarterback CJ Stroud made his pro debut. Ohio State kid. I think If he can avoid all the nonsense with the Texans and their chaos through the years, he has a chance to succeed. He's not much of a wow guy, but he's big move. Foundationally, he's got some nice stuff. Um, The fact that he wasn't great against Belichick is not a story. Rookie quarterbacks against Bill Belichick are 6-24, complete 55% of their throws, throw almost twice as many interceptions and touchdowns, and have a passer rating at 64 Bill is the greatest defensive coach ever. Not a shock that the Texans in a rebuilding state look bad offensively. At least CJ Stroud did facing Belichick as a rookie is like teaching your kid how to drive in New York city. It's really fast and mistakes are inevitable.
3: Um, y- yeah. I mean, look, this it's interesting what, what Belichick's trying to do. I, I don't question Belichick's methods. You know, I, I just don't. And I know that, that last year, what people said and what NFL people said became, in fact, accurate. Right, Which was, man, this plan on offense doesn't seem like one that's going to help them ultimately be successful. But we don't know the impetus behind it. We don't know why he did it that way. And while it wasn't, they weren't good offensively, I'm not sure that you can say unequivocally they would have been that much better offensively if they had a true offensive coordinator with a true background. He wanted to try something. It didn't work. And the point of historic success like he's had for the last quarter century is it does allow you the ability to try something. And oh, yeah, by the way, like Mac Jones fought against it. Maybe he was right or maybe that was part of the exposure is they had to get Matt. They had to get Mac Jones back kind of leveled off because he wasn't carrying himself the way that a star quarterback needs to. But, you know, like, look, we're going to sit here and question how he schemes against rookies like the guy's been doing it for you know, almost a half a century, quarter century as a head coach in, with the Patriots. And they've been more successful than anybody else. I ain't questioning him. I don't think that's my role. Let's get to Dan Patrick talking about C.J.
6: Stroud and judging rookies in this preseason. We had football last night. And you can't get too excited and you can't get too bummed out. That's usually my motto, my logic when I watch a preseason game. Because you can fall in love with somebody. And you go, oh, my God, did you see that guy? And then you never see him again, right? Like Victor Cruz. Remember Victor Cruz in the preseason? You're like, all right, I like this. And then you're thinking, ah, I'll never see Victor Cruz again. But Victor Cruz proved to be something. And then you could watch C.J. Stroud last night and go, uh-oh. Texans looking for a new quarterback. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Usually what I'm looking for is who has something of a, an it factor. Who has composure? Who's doing something that's really interesting? And you don't find too many of those, and you might only find it for a couple of plays, but that's what I'm looking for. When you get C.J. Stroud out there, I thought the offensive line is supposed to be really good with the Texans. It didn't look that way. And then all of a sudden he throws an interception, and then you're going, "Uh uh-oh. Well, this is what happens. He's a rookie. You can't stare down your receiver... Without a defensive back going, uh, is he actually going to throw it here?
3: Yeah, it was was bad. Um, Look, I've heard from a lot of people that they're not huge believers in C.J. Stroud, that he is a talented thrower of the football, but he's not a guy that is going to kind of pick you apart, and they don't think he's going to be a superstar quarterback or whatever. Um, But what I, I didn't like the staring down of wide receiver. That felt very rudimentary. But I would also tell you that we're so early in the process, let's not freak out. Brady Quinn said this about Phil Mickelson.
4: We could laugh about it, but he's admitted he's, he's got a problem yeah. and he is seeking help. And, and look, I, it's going to be a fascinating book. I'd love to hear some of the stories. I, I think a lot of guys who play golf understand it's, it's a lot more gambling intensive than most realize. And for, for some of these guys who are really good at golf, they need that money on the line. They need that putt that's worth thousands of dollars. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, they need it to matter in order to feel the pressure and get that adrenaline rush. That's how some of these golfers operate or how their brain is wired. So I could definitely see how it could get to that point and he could have a problem like that. Um, but a billion dollars on, on betting on other sports, it's a, that's, a, that's, what's crazy to me is like, you got a real problem. Like if it was one thing he was gambling on himself and his games and different knowledge he has of, of actually the golf world, which I believe he was accused of gambling on the Ryder cup, which, which he, uh, has stated that that wasn't the case. Um, outside of maybe some wagers that were made on the course, which is typical, but like other sports that you don't have as, as you know, in-depth knowledge on, or maybe experience with, that's, what's a little bit uh, surprising to me. Um,
3: I just, you know, I, I, I understand it's an addiction. I, I do, but I, I, and I think you'll have, and I've seen people on social media go after Rory McIlroy. Like, why are you making fun of somebody's addiction? The problem with it is, um, all of the other stuff of Phil is why they're making fun of him, right? The way in which he has arrogantly positioned himself with Live Golf and some of the other ways in which he's positioned himself as this, you know, all-around great guy. Everybody loves Phil, when the truth is, on the tour, that hasn't been hasn't been the case. Um, and and kind of he's he's won the PR battle for years, but that's with the public, not with his contemporaries. So I think that's where the energy comes from. Um, and like gambling's a weird one, right? Like we, we, we both make, we will point it with like, we're not allowed to make fun of it, but when, you know, a, a a gambling addict makes a bunch of money, somehow it's supposed to be like championed or it's supposed to be funny. It's just a weird thing. Like Barkley's gambling thing is a real, I mean, he's got a real gambling problem. Michael Jordan, these are real gamblers, right? But we don't criticize well, like we don't criticize it, but not because it's an addiction but because it's we feel like well they're they're like a big bank too big to fail and they're not it's a it's a, just a very interesting thing which is it's as much of an addiction as alcohol drugs you know um sex pornography you name it right work can be an addiction um all of these things can be have addictive ten, addiction tendencies. And yet, um, here we are, you know, trying to figure out, all right, do we make fun of Phil or are we impressed by Phil? I I look at it as incredibly sad. Incredibly sad. Now, does that make it so that he's had to play golf longer? Like, why is he still doing it? That's why, because you got to feed that habit. Does it make you question? It does to me. It makes me honestly question some of those U.S. Open collapses. If you don't question the U.S. Open collapse, especially Wingfoot, when, you know, he he uses driver in 18, doesn't need to, then he hits a driver off the deck on 18. You're like, what are you doing? And look, we can say that Phil at that point in his career was completely reckless and he 10-cupped it. Okay. But when you hear a guy has gambled somewhere around a billion dollars, you start to think, wait a second, why would a guy take take risks that
2: he doesn't need to take? That's what the Fox said. Ah! What does the Fox say? Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
5: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents...
3: Hey, are you traveling to one of the big conference tourneys in Nashville or Minneapolis this March? Well, you should do yourself a favor and do what I do, which is stay at Graduate Hotels. You know, Bridgestone Arena and Target Center, their their hotels are both really close to the tournament venues. And they're obsessed with college sports just like me. Each Graduate Hotel is like a shrine to its hometown and the local college team, but in a good way. Lots of cool details for alumni, vintage sports throwbacks. Remember, you can book today, and here's how you do so. 30% off with the promo code Doug at graduatehotels.com. places let's get to what is bothering or pissing off or annoying jason stewart
2: and now it's your
8: annoying
9: doug you took a vacation earlier this week um good timing for you i'm sure you had a great time bad timing for our listeners because I think the world was deprived of your reaction to the U.S. women's team losing. Um, there's been so much pussyfooting going on. So much, you know, people don't want to be too heavy-handed uh, with criticism. Remember Carly Lloyd last week criticized their, their one of their uh, lead-up games and then kind of apologized. Well, Carly Lloyd said this uh, yesterday.
1: This is a a humble moment for the program, for the players, uh, for the coaching staff. And it's a wake-up call for the entire program because it's easy to turn a blind eye when the senior team is winning. But this stems down at the youth level. The last time there was a Youth World Cup championship that was won came in 2012. And that was with Ertz, Dunn, Sam Mewis, Morgan Bryan. So we are failing at the U-17 level. We are failing at the U-20 level.
9: Good for her. Um, I hope she doesn't have to apologize for that. But what's annoying, Doug, here on a Friday is that the U.S. women's team has not been criticized enough in the last five days.
3: Um, you don't think so? Not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would probably agree with you. So it, it is annoying. Like, look, I, I just I'm so blown away so blown away by Megan Rapino and can you imagine if any other athlete said what she said about her greatest accomplishment being equal pay, right? Like literally that's what she said. And then when she was asked about a different time, you know, what, you know, what would you change? I wish I would have, you know, tried to get, you know, try to get more money earlier, <laughs> you know, like it has literally no connection with the United States you know and um and really with the with the women's movement you know to to her she is so wrapped up in it but yeah i mean they it was multiple levels of embarrassing you know it's not that you lost anybody can lose it's that you didn't there wasn't a match in which you played well there wasn't a match in which you were completely dominant and the 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 lack of regard for uh, the system, if you will, that, you know, title nine and all of you soccer. It's like we're, we're sitting away would you. soccer's failing. OK, well, let, let's kind of get into that thing, but whatever. But let's also credit the fact that our women have had opportunities far earlier than other women. And so we had a 30 year head start. Right. And there's some similarities there to men's basketball. But in, in the I, yeah, I, I'm with you, dude. Uh, but I, I kind of think that part of it is they don't matter nearly as much as we're told they matter. That's why I think the criticism isn't as great.
9: And I mean, the, the final, Dan Beyer was filling in for you and he said it. The actual way they lost on Sunday was a choke. They missed those penalty kicks. Dan did the stats on this. Did you know that 4% of all penalty kicks on those high-level games, international games, 4% uh, miss the goal completely? In other words, most of the time they go in, sometimes the goalie blocks it, other times it hits a crossbar or the other bar. 4% of the time you miss the goal completely. Rapino did it, another of our players did it, it was inexcusable and a choke job. Just in the way they lost. You're the best team in the world, and you obviously were feeling that kind of pressure. I thought it was embarrassing, and it hasn't gotten enough credit or uh, criticism. Um, well, here, here's what
3: here's what's here's what's missing.
9: Okay, this is what's missing,
3: and we can use this on on any platform because it rings completely true. It is the. Biggest, you know what the biggest issue with uh, women's sports and I would say women in broadcasting and I would say women in politics is that I am completely, completely in agreement that if you do the same job that creates the same or greater revenue, you should get what you're worth. Right? Like if two people are of, of the same value in any job, they do the same job. They, if they create the same amount, you should get whatever you have earned based upon however it is calculated. That is, you take away sex. On the other hand, like in men's sports, when our favorite teams don't succeed, we are harshly critical. In, in broadcasting, I can tell you, right? Like when, if a guy is not good, I mean, what is the, what was the guy's name? Was it Sergio Rocco or whatever, Right. <laughs> right who was he was uh, Sergio, fucking,
9: Dip. Sergio, Sergio Dip Sergio Dip favorite was thing was so
3: awful right but he, it, it was English is his second language right it was it was really a, a failure on behalf of management but I mean this dude was crucified in media and social media even to this day for uh, wasn't it Aaron Rodgers he asked the question whatever it was it was so bizarre right on Monday Night Football it was such a reach um and, and I remember in politics, again, and please keep this in mind, I voted for Hillary Clinton. I did. I voted for Hillary Clinton. But what didn't sit well with me was anytime somebody would come out as critical of Hillary Clinton, they go, well, you're a sexist. Like, no, like, we're critical of all candidates. We tear down every single—there has never been a candidate that has not been torn down. And it's just—it's an ugly, ugly, ugly business. So for the U.S. women's national team, the reason no one's outside of, you know, there's some Fox News guys, they're super, they, they're critical, but in sports, no one is critical and going like, look, dude, it's, you can't miss, you can't miss PKs. You lose on PKs when you're, I mean, like Mega Rapino like that wasn't even close. wasn't close. And I get that you can, that that people miss, people lose. It's okay, but we're also um, uh, please also remember. Hey, eh? please also remember that what it feels like. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um. Uh, uh, And, like, again, it's okay. Teams will lose. You don't win every game. There has never been, you know, like 72 Dolphins um, and a couple other things are undefeated. You're going to lose. It happens. It's not like we lost to a crummy club, right? Like, Sweden is seen as a very, very good country in in soccer. But to not – we have people who are so scared, and I think this is what you're getting to, Jason – People are so scared of getting canceled or labeling. Like, look, this happened to me with the Maria. Do you remember that you you were working on the TV side of the time? You remember the Maria Taylor thing?
9: Oh, yeah. No, I remember your role in that, too. So
3: for people who don't remember, okay, Maria Taylor, who now works at NBC, okay, um, she was the host of NBA Countdown. And she forgot, she said she forgot, to put somebody on her, a couple people on her ballot. For MVP, or for All-NBA, okay? So, I mean, you can look this up. And Maria Taylor was, at, again, at the time, and I didn't, know, I didn't even know. Yeah, so she left Anthony Davis off the All-NBA team, okay? And I asked, why does Maria Taylor have a vote? Real question. She's a studio host, silent reporter. It's her first year covering the NBA. She works a ton, not just the league. No reason for her to have a vote. And she said, because I played basketball, I covered the league, I deserve everything I've worked for. Okay, and now this is the classic moving of the goalposts, changing of the narrative, et cetera, et cetera. Right? No one said she didn't deserve the job, but when you're a host, you're not supposed to have an opinion. Okay, that's not your job. And by the way, she had barely covered the NBA, and the oh, I played in college. She also played volleyball as well, right? Like, let's let's not act like playing women's basketball in college makes you somehow and and covering the NBA for one season. Um, as a and then you're a football sideline reporter, right? And at the time, she was there, the college football's top sideline reporter. So you're covering college football every week up until you know January, and then you transition over to the NBA. And when you're the host, you're just asking questions. It became I'm a sexist because I said she doesn't deserve a vote. I never said anything. It had nothing to do with her being a woman. Zero. But because I was critical of her. I was seen as, and I honestly wasn't as critical of her as much as just the idea. Like I've actually fucking worked in television and they will, and a host will tell you, my job is not to give an opinion. My job is to be a traffic cop, to get us in and out of things, to set you up, to listen to you, to come back at you and to, and to pull the strong opinions out of you and to create discussion. I know that I think Ernie has a, has a vote at TNT. He shouldn't either. And Ernie's been and Ernie has been doing it for 30 years but and it's not that his opinion doesn't matter but it doesn't have the value at least to me or the basketball world that Barkley's does that Shaq's does that Kenny's does that especially people who are boots on the ground and cover the NBA that they do. But this is the I think that this is the biggest problem. Everyone wants to wants to be equal on the positive side, no one wants to be equal on the negative side. So the women split all the money. It is Completely inequitable in terms of how much money that that women's soccer actually makes, but that decision has been made. There isn't any arguing about it. But the argument is supposed to be, "Hey, it's about being equal." Okay, you want to be equal. Well, equal also means you have to re- receive equal parts criticism.
9: Um, Skip Bayless did his podcast. I know he, you know he's he's uh, waiting to start the undisputed season here pretty quick, but um, he did a podcast and as most of the media world has done this week he reacted to the johnny Manziel doc um and he shared his own personal experience with johnny while he was in the ship
2: i know johnny looked up to me i know johnny appreciated the fact that i was mostly in his corner up until the draft and i just wish i'd known enough to sit down and actually have a heart to heart with johnny maybe i could have helped I'm pretty good at that if I know help is wanted and or needed, but I didn't see it. I didn't know, I didn't listen to my instincts. When I heard the knock at the door and opened the door, I expected to open it on Kevin and I opened it on Johnny who didn't look very good. He says in the documentary he lost from like 210 down to 175, got a lot of new tattoos all over his arms and hands. He looked a little pale, a little weak, a little worn, and I was shocked.
9: So the key there is that Skip Bayless on his podcast lamented the fact that he didn't do more when he saw Johnny. Um, If you watched that hour and 10 minute documentary, I think anybody with a brain would walk away thinking there's nothing anybody could have done to stop Manziel from what happened he was he was on this train and nothing no parent no coach um no mentor no friend was stopping it so i understand i skip sentiment but the annoying part is that if he had any kind of self-awareness here, after watching that doc, he would have realized that even the great Skip Bayless, uh, in all of his magnanimous, magnanimous, uh, you know, um, I don't know what, what you would even call it sentiment, would not be able to uh, change the way Johnny Manziel's story happened.
3: Here's what I heard, Jace. Do I, 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 I. Like In a way to relate to Johnny Manziel's story, it's about him and his belief. Now, I will give Skip credit because he did get criticism for saying that he believed Johnny Manziel was an alcoholic. You don't know this. I was at CBS at the time, but two weeks before, I had said the same thing. Now, I didn't say it from a knowledge perspective. I had called somebody in Cleveland at the time and said, hey, we think he's an alcoholic. But I'd actually said the same thing. I was like, look, you're an alcoholic when— When your actions and drinking gets in the way of your job and your personal life, right? And so I was like, he's an alcoholic. I I will credit Skip with that. But one of the things we do a terrible job of in the media, and I'm not going to undersell, Skip is an influential media member. Sometimes positive, oftentimes negative. He's influential. But we insert ourselves in the story as if we played a role. You didn't play any fucking role in... In like, dude, how arrogant does that sound? Well, I wish I would have. I, I like you can't help you can't help Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel was a fucking train wreck, and we as the media, when he was signing autographs and taking money, we made it about the NCA and not about Johnny. We made his actions and his partying kind of be cool, not about Johnny. So if you want to say all of us kind of bought into the hype and Johnny Good Times was a lot of fun. That's fine. I had Cliff Kingsbury on the radio. And I asked Cliff Kingsbury, who had coached him at at A&M as his his quarterback coach. I asked him. I was like, you know, what's something he needs to work on? He was like, well, you know, he really needs to dive into more studying football and watching more film. And when somebody who cares about you says that, what they are telling you is, what they are absolutely telling you is he didn't watch any film. Right? Nobody says he didn't watch any film. He's got to start watching stuff. They say he's got to get a little better. He's got to get better at it. That means he's not watching any. The warning signs were there and he just imploded. Any more?
9: No. So you got the uh, critis- lack of criticism for the women's national team and Skip Bayless.
3: I would say the lack of criticism for the women's national team is
9: the must die! Why
3: are we doing this? Why do I? Because we can.
9: Uh, Dana White laid in on the Mark Zuckerberg-Elon Musk fight. Think about how
0: big that fight is. Two of the richest, most powerful guys in the fucking world are are going to fight on the biggest stage ever. You're going to pay for that fight? Everybody would. Who the fuck doesn't want to see that (laughs) That fight? Who (laughs) doesn't want to see that fight? Everybody would watch it. That's that's (laughs) the kind of fight you're fucking... Your grandmother would watch that fight. You know what I mean? Wow. It's it's a it's a huge Trump I, would have and to back fight in, Putin could, for that to, listen, for a fight to be bigger than that.
7: And my I can see somebody in my house. White people just got so much money, just don't know what to do with this guy.
0: <laughs> Man,
3: the Dana White stuff. Dana White's ability to be a guy that is uh, is is that big and say whatever he wants and whatever he feels and get away with it. That's impressive. And our ability to play it for you simply because we can. All right, that's it for the In the Bonus podcast. Check out the daily radio show, 3 to 5 Eastern, 12 to 2 Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app. I'm Doug Gottlieb.
5: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.